starting pretty soon. And all the parents are shouting, Hallelujah. And all the teachers are shouting, Oh, no, Luya. <laughs> if that's a word. Uh, little Braden gets to start kindergarten this year. Or pre K, pre K. I'm shooting my head way ahead. But, uh, and he's going to have Kelsey's pre K teacher? Do you understand that right? Possibly? Okay. Well, her whole world's fixing to change. So, she will have a fantastic year. He's a, he's a fun little boy. He will be, he'll, like Cindy said, he's a charmer, like his Uncle Corey. Corey didn't make good grades, but he got good grades because he knew how to charm his way through to him. Any of you have kids like that? <laughs> Bet you did. But anyway, if you got your Bibles, let's hold them up. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand. Powerful Word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. Here, here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love you, neighbor. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, there's neighbors. You know, don't forget the cards in the back. Be sure and grab one. Fill out. Give me the names, and and uh, let's begin to pray about those. I'd love to have uh, 120 names that we're praying for. Uh, 40 cards, three to a card. That'd be 120 if my math's correct. Uh, wouldn't that be great? And then out of that 120, if we saw 10 who would come to church, wouldn't that be awesome? And uh, out of that 10, we could see five, six baptized into Christ. Wouldn't that be awesome? See. We're only limited by our, our faith. We're only limited by our prayer. Amen? Amen? Okay. Oh, goodness. <clears throat> so we're going to be looking at um, loving our neighbors. How do we love them? What's it all about? Why do we do it? Today we're going to start with what love is. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 7. So in your Bibles, go there. And uh, uh, stay with me uh, there for a couple of minutes. And uh, let me make sure I get my uh, verses up here before we go too much further. There was a um, professional group wanted to find out what love is. And so they asked a, um, a group of four to eight-year-olds what they thought love is and how they would uh, define that. And, uh, and so when they, uh, when they asked them these, this question, uh, the kids had some uh, incredible answers. And I don't, I'm not going to read all of them, but just some of them. Rebecca, who's age eight, said, When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. Now that's love. Carl, age five, said, Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. Danny, age seven, said, Love is when my mother makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. 
Bobby, age seven. This will this will wow you. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Isn't that great? Noel, age seven. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, and then he wears it every day. <laughs> little does she know about little boys. Okay. Claire, age six. My mommy loves me more than anybody. You don't see anyone else kissing me to sleep at night. Marianne, age four. Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him all alone all day. Karen, age seven, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. <laughs> I've got one more, but I'm going to hold it till the end because it, it'll help wrap up the message in such a powerful way today. So I want us to look at uh, in our text in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. And by way of introduction, this chapter falls in between two important chapters. Chapters 12, chapter 14, and 12, 13, and 14 have to go together. So many people split them up. 12 deals with spiritual gifts. 12 tells you I have a more excellent... Uh, 13 has, it tells you I have a more excellent way. That's how 12 ends. And then uh, 13 tells you about those gifts and the importance of those gifts, but how all of those gifts have to have love surrounding them to make them effective. And then 14 deals with worship and how we're to handle the Holy Spirit in our life and in our corporate worship. But in the course of the discussion, Paul defines what is love by the way chapter 12 ends when he says, let me show you a more excellent way. A more excellent way. He's encouraging them to desire better gifts in chapter 12, verse 31. But he begins 13 by saying, let me show you a more excellent way. Because you see... We need to, first of all, learn three things about what love is. Love is, first of all, the necessity of love. We need to learn about that. <coughs> Look with me, if you would, at verses 1 and 2 of uh, chapter 13. It says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. So you see, love is necessary, described by Paul, if we're going to exercise spiritual gifts in the right way. I mean, in those two verses, Paul connects the greatness of love with all these powerful gifts that we talk about all the time. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Whoa! For some people, that's huge. Some people, they make fun of it. <coughs> I made a mistake one time in a sermon of Mocking that. I was wrong. I admitted I was wrong. Because, see, there's other ways you can make a point without mocking something. So speaking in tongues is real to the person that experiences it. 
And you and I have no room or right to say to that person, well, you didn't experience that. It's kind of like someone telling us that if you built a business, you didn't build that. <laughs> really? See, if you've experienced a gift of God, I should rejoice with you. I should be so enamored by the fact that you have, that you love the Lord so much that He's using you at a moment when you need that gift. How about the gift of gener- generosity? Do you realize that's a spiritual gift? It is. You have it. How do I know that? Because anytime we bring up a special need to you, you dig deep. You'll still give to the church and the, the general fund needs here, but you always seem to find a little extra. <coughs> because that's the way you are. I mean, look at Bryant. We've come up in less than a month over $1,400. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. And if I were to say to you, we need $300 to go buy um, school supplies, you would give it to me. I know you would. That's what you are. So see, there is that spirit, that, that gift of generosity. How about the gift of hospitality? You realize that's a, that's a spiritual gift? Willing to open your home to someone to come in to stay? Yeah, that's a gift. Gift of teaching. Gift of prophecy. What's prophecy? It's preaching the gospel. Tongues. It's so that people will know the, know the word and, preach the, and hear the word being preached to them. We don't need to worry about the gifts themselves, but we need to worry about the love that's driven and surrounding those gifts. Is it love that drives that? Is it love that? That's what Paul's saying. You can have all these gifts you want. You can look like this spiritual giant. But if you don't have love, what good is it? What good is it? And then in verse 3, in verse 3, he says, And if I give all possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, and don't have love, profits me nothing. So, it's necessary, love is necessary to exercise the spiritual gifts. It's also necessary to exercise great sacrifice. Why do you sacrifice? Why do you give of your time, talent, and treasures? It's because you love God. You love God. That should be the motivator to do anything is my love for God because of His great love for me. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. He gave me the greatest gift of all, and that is salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. We just finished in our small group study in, in, at 9.30 on Sunday morning. We're studying Revelation. We're in chapter 20 where Satan is bound and then Satan and his, and his cohorts are cast in the lake of fire. And those who are outside of Christ are going to hell. And it says they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. Man, I don't want to go there. I want to be on the side of the Lord. Amen? But if you're not producing anything, what good are you? John 15, verses 1-8. through We'll let you know that. Read it later. You must be a producer. But the first thing we ought to produce is love. Because without love, everything that we accomplish, spiritual gifts, sacrificing, has no value at all without love driving it. How does that apply to you and me today? Well, without love... 
any ability that we have is really of little value. So you're a great teacher. So you're a great preacher. So you're a great singer. But if you don't have love, what good is it? I mean, really, what good is it? Without love, any knowledge we obtain will only hurt us, according to 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1. Without love, any service rendered is not pleasing to God, according to Revelation 2. Love is truly a necessary characteristic in a Christian's life. It ought to be so obvious that you love first before you do anything else. Love first before you do anything else. This Wednesday we're going to take the dollar club money. We're going to go to Dollar General down here. And we're going to help families out with $25 at a pop for whatever they need. If it's food, if it's school supplies, whatever it is. We're just going to stand there until it's all gone. If you want to come be a part of it, watch it. Come on. We're going to tape it. We're going to video it and try to play it back for you a little bit. Because the intent of that money was to do a community outreach that would leave an impact. And so that's what we're going to do. And we don't know who God's going to send to, to be a recipient of that money. We don't. But He does. So I've told Him ahead of time so He can line them up. <laughs> like He needs my help. So we've seen the necessity of love. Secondly, I want you to see the qualities of love. And this is, this is where we spend most of the time, especially in this chapter. <clears throat> Because there are great qualities of love listed in these verses. Usually you, you hear them read at weddings. This is the type of love that a man should have for a woman, a woman for a man. But God is telling us through Paul this is the kind of love that we're all supposed to have toward each other. Especially within the church. We should never be divisive in the church. We ought to be loving each other in the church. Amen? I'll wait. Amen? <laughs> Because, you know, that's a pretty important point. It's easy to divide. Not so easy to hold everybody together in unity and harmony and love. But we can if we love each other first. <coughs> we can if I don't have to have my way and you don't have to have your way. But we try to let God have His way. Amen? All right. Thanks, Pat, for joining me. I appreciate that. Well, let me start you out with a couple of positive qualities. First one, it says, love... Suffers longs, or suffer suffers longly. In other words, it endures slights and wrongs patiently and for a long time, like God Himself. In Psalm 103 and verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. Wow. <coughs> slow to anger. Secondly, love is kind. Love is obliging. I was checking out at the grocery store yesterday, and a lady had two items in the basket behind me. I had more than her. And I said, why don't you go in front of me? She says, oh, no, you were here first. I said, ah, I insist. And, you know, I think it took her back. Because people aren't used to us treating each other that way, are they? But I was glad that I did. Because it was fun to watch her and the lady checking out. They knew each other. I didn't know that. So I got, I got the chance to see that. Had I checked out, I'd have been gone and never witnessed that connection between the two of them. And then as the older lady left, 
the, the uh, checker told me, said, she walks here and I was getting so worried about her in the heat. Isn't that something? That the lady checking her out knew who she was and a little bit more about her than just that she just shows up and buys stuff. There's love coming out of there. You see what I'm saying? It's kind, obliging, willing to help. Then he shifts, Paul shifts a little bit into some negative qualities. First, it does not envy. It's not jealous of what others have or have become. <laughs> you get jealous about that? I was uh, taken aback. A, a dear friend of mine, Dudley Rutherford, preaches in California at a church called uh, Shepherd of the Hills Church. Several years ago, they combined with First Baptist Church of, of uh, that area out in California to make Shepherd of the Hills Church. And, uh, Wow. <laughs> When, when do you see a Baptist church and a Christian church come together like that? But they did. It's done very, very well. But Dudley travels the, the country speaking for different groups as well as his home church, and they have several campuses out in California. But he did something last week that just blew me away. He likes to ride bikes. He's a long-distance bike rider. So wherever he goes, he takes his bike and he rides and stuff. But what he decided to do this trip was to ride to little towns and find a little church and be a blessing to that church from his big church back in California. He said he walked into a church in, in a little Methodist church up in some town in Iowa. And he said, I just walked in, met the preacher, and asked the preacher what they had uh, project-wise they were working on. And the preacher said, well, we're trying to raise funds to put a sign up out front. And Dudley said, yeah, I noticed that your sign was pretty old ragtag. He said, yeah, we've painted and repainted and painted and repainted. And Dudley says, well... I'm the pastor of Shepherd Hills Church in California, and we'd like to build you a sign. And the pastor looked at him and said, what? He said, how much will it cost? He said, well, it's going to cost about $3,000. Dudley pulled out his check, or pulled out his checkbook, and he wrote a check for $3,000 and handed it to the man and said, from your brothers and sisters at Shepherd Hills Church in California. Whoa! Now that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. We need to not be envious. Don't be envious of people, what they've become or what they have. Secondly, it says, don't, love does not parade itself. Does not brag or boast of anyone's abilities and possessions. You know, if you've got a big boat, I need to rejoice with you. Lady across the street, every day I get up with a, with a quick reminder that everything can change instantly when her house burned down. They're putting in brand new windows in her house. And her house catches on fire and burns down. She's got very nice windows in the front. <laughs> very nice windows. But that's all you can see, basically. It's the windows in the front. Also goes on and says, love is not puffed up. Doesn't swell up with pride and be elated with a vain conceit of, of, of yourself. So you've accomplished some stuff. Who cares? You think God cares? <laughs> he cares what you do with that. If he's, if he's allowed wealth to be a part of your life, He's concerned about what you do with your wealth. If you're a powerful person, very influential person, He wants you to use that for His kingdom. Can you imagine what all these politicians in Washington, what the difference they could make if they would all surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Woo! 
Can you imagine what $400 million could do to the kingdom of God? Woo! $400 million. Wouldn't that be awesome? I bet you we could buy a few church signs with that. It's not puffed up. It goes on to say that love does not behave rudely. Doesn't behave in an ugly, indecent, or unseemly, or unbecoming manner. First Peter 3 8 says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender hearted. Be courteous. We should be courteous. Hey, how you doing? You doing okay? Great. Good to see you. No, let me hold the door for you. No, I prefer you. No, let me do this. Cindy and I went out to eat the other night, and this little girl was holding the door when we came in. We got ready to leave, and we almost got to the door. She saw us getting to the door, and she wasn't there to hold it. She ran past Cindy to get to the door, <laughs> to hold the door open. Now, she's paid to be there, but still, it was just the gesture, right? She wanted to hold that door. That was her job. That was her job that night. I was assigned to hold the door. So she's holding the door with all gusto and all, all fervor. Amen. I appreciate Verlin this morning. Verlin's uh, signed up to do a greeting at the door. He does such a great job, doesn't he? Smiles at you and just points at you. And if he knows, he picks at you and all that. Well, today he was a little bit lightheaded. So he said, I'm going to let those girls do the greeting today. Well, they smile. Those little kids smile. They do a great job greeting at the door, don't they? Sure they do. It's fun to walk up and little kids are standing by the door. It's great. We ought to be rejoicing about all this stuff. We ought to be on fire. That look what's going on, man. We've got kids here. We've got adults here. We've got seniors here. We've got all kinds. We cover everybody. Got them all covered. Feed donuts that run out. And we get donuts. We get, you know, research probably gives us $50, $60 a week in extra stuff or more. Free. And when I check out and the checker doesn't know that, that, that it's, it's throwaway stuff, when I give them what, they, what we pay is $16.77. She, they always say, is that for everything? Like I'm trying to steal something. I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they still look at you funny. But I, and I have to explain to them, well, they're going to throw this all away. Oh, oh. Don't behave rudely. Also it says, love does not seek its own. Does not seek its own happiness to the injury of others. It says, love is not provoked. It doesn't fly into a rage, but keeps the temper under control. Boy, we need that one today. We need that one today. read a great story this week. A Black Lives Matter guy got robbed by somebody that came up and robbed him. So he calls the police. They're the ones that are saying, kill the police. The police come. Treat the man that was robbed with the utmost respect and honor. Got the description. Found the guy. He was in a dumpster trying to hide. Got him out. Got the man's possessions back. And the man who's part of Black Lives Matter said, I think my whole attitude's just changed. Isn't that right? If I go love you, it's going to be hard for you to slap me. But you may slap me. It's okay. Because I'll just keep on loving you. When Davy Wilkerson was preaching in New York, he'd go up to Nicky Cruz, who was part of a gang, the Mau Mau gang, and he would tell him, God loves you, Nicky. God loves you, Nicky. 
One day, Nicky Cruz knocked him on the ground, jumped on top of his chest, and pulled out his switchblade. He said, I'm going to cut you over in a thousand pieces. He said, and go ahead, Mickey. Nicky, go ahead and do that, because every, every piece is going to scream, Nicky, Jesus loves you. He surrendered his heart to God. He's a preacher of the gospel today. You might know him from the book Cross and the Switchblade by David Wilkerson. Love doesn't seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. In other words, puts the best possible construction on the motives and the conduct of others. And it's hard during the political season. When you hear people say things, you instantly go, that's a lie. You know it's a lie. Can't be true. You want it to be true. But it's hard not to think evil sometimes, isn't it? Especially if you've been hurt or maligned in the in the past. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Does not rejoice over the vices of other people. Does not take delight when they are guilty of crime or when in any manner they fall into sin. It does not find pleasure in hearing others accused of sin and having it proved that they committed it. See, gotcha. Gotcha. We should pray for them, shouldn't we? To pray for. Now let's shift back to some positive because Paul shifts back. Love rejoices in the truth, literally with the truth. Truth is personified as is love, and when love sees truth in the lives of others, love greatly rejoices along with it. What your mother teach you? If you can't say something good, don't say something at all. True. Just don't do it. It's easier to tell the truth than to remember who you told the lie to so you can cover how many lies you told. And some people are tremendous liars and boy, they embellish and embellish and embellish and embellish and they don't realize how bad and big the story's gotten. Wouldn't it be easier to just tell the truth? My mom and dad used to say, if you tell me the truth, it won't hurt you nearly as much. Which meant my bottom wouldn't hurt nearly as much. I was going to get a spanking, but it wouldn't be a spanking <laughs> if I told him. But if I lied to him, usually comes back worse. Have you learned not to lie to your mother? She knows. Dad's even pulled one or two on us. But moms, mm -mm. you look at her and you tell her a lie, she's going to look right through you and you know she's looking through you and you know your whole world is fixing to end right now. And then you buckle down start crying. You're hoping you beg for mercy. (laughs) Some of you are shaking your head. Maybe you've been there. Also, love bears all things. It literally covers or protects. But as used by Paul here elsewhere, it can also mean to endure, to suffer. So it bears all things. It covers it, but it bears it. 1 Corinthians nine twelve. In regards to the sins or failings of others, there is a willingness to bear with them patiently. Be patient with those around you that are sinning and continue to sin. Don't enable them, but be patient with them. Then he says, love bears all things. In regard to the conduct of others, it's a disposition to put the best construction on it, to believe that they may be uh, actuated by good motives and that they uh, intend no injury and that there is a willingness to suppose as far as can be that what is done is done consistently with friendship, good feeling, and virtue. Love produces that. It's hard sometimes. 
Especially if someone has lied to you and been continuous in their lies. In their using of you. It's hard to love them in spite of that. But that can be the driver if we allow it to. And so that would be the encouragement. And then he says, love hopes all things. In other words, I'm hoping that it all turn out well for you. I've had people call me and say, you know, I've got a job offer and I'm not sure yet what to do. I said, well, let's just pray that God will show favor and you'll see the favor and you'll understand the favor and it'll go well with you. Because early, that's what we should do. And hope, love, hopes all things. You know, when little Brian was, after he was born, they'd run him into the ICU unit real fast. And man, that just shakes you up, especially if you're a brand new parent. And that's your baby boy whose grandson is in, whose son is in there and your grandson. That shakes everybody up. And somehow we, we old people are supposed to walk in with some confidence that everything's going to be all right. So we've got to hope all things. Got to believe it. Trust the Lord. Lean on the Lord. And that's what I kept telling Mark. I said, Mark, just lean on the Lord. Just lean on the Lord. God knows. God knows what's going on. He wouldn't have brought him here if he hadn't. He didn't know. Well, Dad, what am I going to do if I lose him? I said, don't cross that bridge. That bridge hadn't even showed up yet. Do you see those nurses concerned? Do you see those nurses doing anything different? Nope. I said, when you see, when you see worry on their face, you might get worried. Trust the Lord. He's put the medical profession right here for a purpose. Stay with it. I've seen babies. David's seen, seen babies, little ones. They're not supposed to be here. Oh, they're here. I've got a niece who's, who's, who was this big, <laughs> born premature. She's an RN nurse today. She was a slow learner. And when she started school, and the teachers would say, tell, tell their mom, I don't think she's going to amount to much. And when she got her RN degree, you know, a little, little <coughs> get you there, but mom sent a copy of her degree to that teacher to say, never give up on a kid. Never give up on them. We've got a bunch of wild-eyed ones running around here, don't we? Yeah, we do. If you don't believe it, sit out there and watch them eat donuts. Come watch them eat on Wednesday night. I've never seen hot dogs consume more in my life than I do on Wednesday night. And love endures all things. Bears up under it, sustains it, does not complain. Love endures all things. Wives endure a lot of stupidness from their husbands. Come on, women. It's your shot. I'll wait for you to say amen. One did. No other. Because you see, women do some stupid things too, don't they, men? Whoo, a little bit more here coming on. Yeah, brave when you're in the crowd, aren't you? Okay. But you know, Cindy and I, 39 years this year. In fact, next weekend, it's 39 years for us. 39 years. That's a long time. But that's a, I'm a, we're pups compared to some of you. I never will forget what Dorothy Branstetter told us when they had their 50th anniversary. I said, Dorothy, how'd you and Ralph get that long, how that, that far? She said, He said, Whatever you want, dear, whatever you want. <laughs> it's great marriage advice right there. Well, I miss her. Endures all things. And now I want to finish with the permanency of love. Because he says, Love 
never fails. To fall away, to fail, to be without effect, to cease to be in existence is what failing means. But love never does that. You can be hurt. You can be hurt deeply. But you can still love people. Others may be endowed with the Holy Spirit. They may have more gifts, it appears, than you do. But you can love them and care about them because that's what we're supposed to do. The argument is that we ought to seek that which is of enduring value and that love should be preferred to those endowments of the Spirit on which is such a high value had been set by the Corinthian church. They were beginning to puff themselves up about the gifts that they had. We see that in the church today. Spiritual gifts mentioned in our chapter 13, verses 8 through 12. Such gifts were used to reveal and confirm the Word of God. And when you completely hear the Word of God and the Word of God is revealed and confirmed, some of those gifts may not be needed anymore. That's what it says. It says they'll cease. But we have to love because love will never fail. And then he finishes by saying love abides. The greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Spiritual gifts like prophecies, tongues, knowledge, generosity, faithfulness. There's a long, long list. If you've got any of those gifts and you try to exercise any of those gifts and you don't do it with love, it's not going to last. But look at the last part of chapter 13 and you're going to see that some of the gifts fulfill themselves. And they stop. Based on the Hebrew and the Greek endings of those words, they stop. In other words, they've done what they were intended to do. You see, that's what a gift does. God uses that gift for now, for this, and then He moves on to something else. And God is the one who gives that to you through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit picks you and picks me who He's going to give that gift to. He may give me one, He may give Geneva one, He may give Christy one. And they won't be the same. But we've got to love each other through whatever gift we get. If my gift is bigger and better and more prominent, they're supposed to love me instead of saying, well, I should get that because I'm better than him. And they're probably right. But you see, we've got to love each other. I may not agree with you. You may not agree with me. I still got to love you. And I would hope that our church would become a church where everybody who walks in that door senses they, these people love each other. This is a lovingest bunch of people. Wasn't it fun having the kids all scattered out among us this morning? Well, for one thing, they were quiet, weren't they? Yeah, they're afraid to talk. Did, did, did they all talk to you? A little bit? Hey, don't make them initiate the conversation. You initiate the conversation. Oh, they're happy. Oh, they're happy. They're loving it. And we're loving them. 
I love watching the parents of these kids who just keep sending them out to put them on that bus. Send them out to put them on that bus. It's amazing. It's amazing. So what I've been trying to say today about our neighbors is that love, true love, the love of God is truly a more excellent way. In Romans 13, Paul says love is the fulfillment of the law. And in Colossians 3, it says love is the bond of perfection. But when properly defined and understood, love, love is the way of Christ. How does our conduct measure up to Paul's description of love we've talked about? In our dealings with others, whether they're our friends or our foes, how are we loving them? Because without love, our labor is in vain. It's in vain. Oh, I mentioned the last part of the story that I started with. Author and lecturer Leo Bascalia once talked about a contest he was asked to judge. And the purpose of the contest was to find the most caring child. The winner was a four-year-old whose next-door neighbor was an elderly gentleman who had recently lost his wife. And when he saw the man crying, he saw the man crying, the little boy went into the old gentleman's yard, climbed onto his lap, and he just sat there. When his mother asked what he had said to the neighbor, the little boy said, Nothing. I just helped him cry. That's love. Father, I ask you today that we love each other. As a church, we need to love each other. As a church, we need to love those outside the walls of this building. As a church, we need to love you. As a church, we need to love those that are different than us. As, as Christians, we need to love people more than we love ourselves. God, we're not always going to see eye to eye. and We're not always going to agree on everything. But one thing we can do is to speak in a loving way, in a gracious way, in a kind way. Would we always think before we speak and make our words kind and gracious and full of mercy? Oh, what a difference a world would be if we lived like that. There's enough backbiting and there's enough finger pointing and there's enough anger. But there's not enough love. Would we be a church that 